Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHMLP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything. Yes, everything. In racing that happened in the last week, we'll discuss the latest news and cap it all off with a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome to Speed Zone here on this Wednesday evening. I'm Ben Cower. It's a pleasure to be on the show yet again. And uh, we've got plenty to talk about this week. It was an exciting weekend in racing uh, as there was not just NASCAR action, there was IMSA action. Petit Le Mans happened. A lot happened in Petit Le Mans. And uh, again, Arkham Nard Series West was fantastic. World of Outlaws was out west in the uh, outside in, in Kansas this weekend. We'll be chatting about that alongside plenty of the topics from this past weekend in racing. Uh, Las Vegas happened this weekend in racing and also, or in NASCAR, I should say, and then the Winchester 400. There was plenty of drama after that race, and we'll be discussing that and more. Plenty to talk about in this episode of Speed Zone up next uh, here on this episode. But first, flag to flag. Welcome to Flag to Flag, a recap of the week that was in motorsports, as Ben Cower covers everything you might have missed in this past week of racing action. So let's begin tonight with uh, what happened on Friday of this past week, starting off with the Arca Menard Series West at the Bullring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And it was a shock surprise winner, Dylan Capello. Before Friday night, Dylan Capello hadn't raced in the Arca Menard Series West since 2015. And his first ever Arca win comes in his only, his second ever West Series start. Capello's day job is working for Front Row Motorsports as the lead engineer for Zane Smith in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Again, scored his first ever West Series victory at the Bullring this past Friday in the number 88 Ford Mustang. Again, first 120 laps of the event were dominated by Arkham Menard Series West Championship leader Sean Hingarani, who started from the pole until his right front brake rotor caught fire and he had to pit and Hingarani lost multiple laps, handing the lead over to Capello, who survived two late recent starts and held off a charging Trevor Huddleston to win his first ever West Series race. So the top five at the uh, Bullring race for the West Series. Capello in first place. Trevor Huddleston in second. Tanner Reef in P3. Tyler Reef brothers. Reef in third and four, uh, third and fourth. And then Eric Nascimento Jr. in P5. So an exciting race at the Bullring yet again for the Arkham Menard Series West. Now on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Saturday. And it was a little bit of hometown heroics. Riley Herbst, his first ever top three series win, came in dominant fashion. A 14.9 second lead over his competition in his hometown race after leading 103 of 201 laps, where he had invited many family and friends to come attend the race. Over 60, it was said, and it was the most significant mark 
margin of victory in the series to this season. So it was the largest gap of victory this season in the Xfinity Series and nearly seven seconds better than the previous best margin of victory for an Xfinity Series race at Las Vegas. 8.4 seconds back in 2002, so Herbst, the hometown hero, smoked that with his first ever victory. He's not battling for a title. He didn't make the playoffs in the Xfinity Series, but again earned his first ever victory after re-upping with Stuart Haas Racing for another year this past week. Again, the runner-up showing by John Hunter Nemechek was his fifth top three finish in the last six races, and the series-leading seven-time race winner this season. He's got a 47-point lead top playoff standings with two races remaining uh, before we close out the season in Phoenix. So your top five in the Xfinity Series race at Las Vegas, Riley Herbst for Stuart Haas Racing in first, John Hunter Nemechek for Joe Gibbs in second, Cole Custer in the double-zero machine, two cars in the top three for Stuart Haas uh, as Custer finishes in third, Chandler Smith for Colleg Racing in P4, and Sam Mayer, a nice second half of the season for Mayer, junior motorsports driver in the number one machine, finished P5 on the weekend. Now on to the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship at Petit Le Mans, where the season ended on Saturday at Road Atlanta. The winner overall was Michael Shank Racing with Kerbajanian, the number 60 Acura prototype, piloted by Tom Blomquist, Colin Braun, and, and Elio Castroneves. And it was the final race in IMSA competition for the foreseeable future as uh, Michael Shank Racing is going to focus on its IndyCar efforts in 2024 as uh, the podium finish. Again, the Michael Shank Racing number 60 Acura in the prototype GT prototype class, uh, the 01 Cadillac Racing prototype, piloted by Scott Dixon, Sebastian Bourdais, and Rene Vanderzanda, and then P3, the number 59 Proton Competition prototype of uh, John, Mary, John Maria Bruni, Harry Tinknell, and Neil Yanni rounded out the podium position. But again, the championships that were awarded, uh, the Action Express number 31 Cadillac of Pippo Durrani and Alexander Sims captured the title for the GTB drivers and team standings. LMP2 went to Ben Keating and Paul Lochatine for PR1 slash Matthias in motorsports. The LMP3 title went to Riley Motorsports and LMP3's final race as a sanctioned IMSA class. GTD Pro went to the number 14 Lexus of Vassar Sullivan Racing, piloted by Brits Ben Barnacote and Jax Hawksworth. And then the GT Daytona class went to the number one Paul Miller Racing Chevrolet Corvette for Madison Snow and Brian Sellers. Now on to the Smart Tour Modifieds at South Boston Speedway on Sunday began things and it was Andy Jankowiak. Good old Andy J scored his first ever victory at South Boston Speedway in the pace Somatic 99, but not without a little bit of controversy. His first ever win at South Boston, his first ever race at the track, but post-race technical inspection, Smart Modified Tour officials questioned the compression of the engine of good old Andy J's winning car. Officials confiscated the engine in order to verify the engine's compliance with rules, and just a day later, Jankowiak's win confirmed by an independent inspector who performed a complete checkdown process on the motor. Burt Myers still leads the title with one race remaining in the season, but South Boston, your podium finishers Andy Jankowiak in P1, Carson Lofton, who dominated, had to settle for second, and Joey Coulter finishes in P3. Now on to the NASCAR Cup Series at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Sunday, where Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell, and I'm, no, I'm not talking about the Chili Bowl, had a photo finish, and uh, Larson led the most laps, swept both stage wins, but had to hold off a hard-charging dirt-racing rival in Christopher Bell uh, in the uh, number 20 uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota as the two cars approached the checkered flag. Larson won by a mere point 
0.082 seconds locked himself into the championship four race in the Cup Series, the season finale at Phoenix, to race for his second Cup Series title in November. The race had seven, seven different leaders, 20 lead changes. Larson, through rotation of pit stops and stages, led seven times and led the most laps with 133 of 267, helping him top the 1,000 laps led mark this season. His uh, Larson's 1,031 laps led out front in, t- in 2023 is the most in the NASCAR Cup Series of any driver. Bell, who also won the pole, settled for second, certainly felt the weight of not winning the race after the race, now finding himself ranked fifth in the standings of eight remaining eight title-eligible drivers, two points below the four-driver cutoff line heading into next week's playoff race at Homestead Miami Speedway. And even with Larson a lock, William Byron still holds the championship lead, 11 points above the cutoff line, and is followed by or followed for the final championship spots by Hamlin, Denny Hamlin that is, with uh, plus four, Truex plus three, uh, Bell sits point three or two to three points below Truex three. My bad. Uh, on the cutoff line, followed by Tyler Reddick, who's 15 behind. Ryan Blaney, who's 17 behind, asterisk there, and Chris Busher, who's 23rd, I say, asterisk on Blaney. He failed post-race inspection for his left front shock as it didn't meet the required length of 22.55 inches, but NASCAR found an issue with the template it used in inspection and rescinded the penalty, or rarity, and which would have placed Blaney in last. So Blaney claims his sixth place finish as the top 10 of the Cup Series race at Las Vegas this past weekend. Kyle Larson in first for Hendrick Motorsports, Christopher Bell in second, Kyle Busch another solid run for RCR, the 8 machine finished third, Brad Keselowski had one of the fastest cars on track for RFK Racing, but he finished in fourth, Ross Chastain another top five finish in the number one machine for Trackhouse, Ryan Blaney just mentioned him finished in P6, William Byron in seventh, Tyler Reddick in eighth, Martin Trix Jr. struggled all day but recovered to finish in ninth place, his first ever top 15 finish in the playoffs this year for the regular season champion and Denny Hamlin rounded out the top 10 for Joe Gibbs Racing. Now on to the ASC Stars National Tour, where this past weekend, Sunday at the Action Track in Winchester, Indiana, the 52nd Winchester 400, again at Winchester Speedway. And the winner was Gio Ruggiero, but dramatic, as uh, that's the word to describe this race, as Stephen Nassi led the field to the green flag with nine laps to go in the event, chose the outside lane on the restart with Ruggiero to his inside. And as the two cars raced into turn one, they made contact with Nassi going into the outside wall and falling to fourth position. And Ruggiero, eight tires turned a little better than four in that corner, just so to say. And Ruggiero led the rest of the way for the biggest win of his career and earned himself a Winchester rifle. And with the win, Ruggiero also claimed the ASA slash CR RA Super Series Championship had previously won the ASA Southern Super Series Championship as well but after the race, this is where the dramatics come in, Nassi stopped his car alongside Ruggiero's on the track, rather crewmen uh, or on the front stretch where after a heated a heated altercation ensued uh, with Jeff Nassie, father of Stephen Nassie, walking onto the track with other crewmen after Nassie's car parked beside Ruggiero's on the front stretch. Ruggiero then gassed the car, knocking over Jeff Nassie, who went flying as Ruggiero's left quarter panel clipped, uh, left rear quarter panel clipped the elder Nassie in the right leg after a half burnout. Uh, Jeff Nassie ended up being okay, but obviously. That was a dangerous situation, and a fight then ensued as Stephen Nassie climbed out of his car to charge at a parked-again Ruggiero, but 
things settled down at least a little bit after that. Ruggiero earned the win for Donnie Wilson, but the team found that after the race, the tires on the team's hauler had mysteriously been flattened. I wonder who could have done that. Uh, both will be racing in the Cars Tour this week, so keep an ear out for that. But Gio Ruggiero, your winner of the 52nd running of the Winchester 400, Canadian Cole Butcher in P2, Stephen Classy Nassi in P3, William Sawalich in 4th, and Dakota Straup in P5. And then finally, the World of Outlaws at 81 Speedway in Wichita, Kansas on Friday. And that car- that race was canceled due to hazardous windy conditions out in Kansas. Uh, we're not in Kansas. Well, they're still in Kansas, Toto. But, you know, the uh, race was canceled due to hazardous windy conditions. Uh, sadly, no race at 81 Speedway. But on Saturday for the Kansas or for the Micro Light Harvest Rumble at Lakeside Speedway, also in Kansas, uh, top three in that race for the World of Outlaws. Donnie Schatz was the winner this past weekend. David Gravel had to settle for a second, and Brad Sweet rounded out the podium finish. So, that recaps the week that was in Flag to Flag here on Speed Zone. We'll take a quick break, and then when we come back, it's going to be the best segment of the show, What's Up This Week, where I get to lay out the schedule for this upcoming week in the world of racing. More up next here on Speed Zone. I'm Eric Kipple, 10-year veteran of the NFL. And I'm Captain Mark McNeil, 16-year veteran of the Army National Guard. Whether on the playing field or the battlefield, you must be both physically and mentally fit. If you're injured, you owe it to yourself and your teammates to get back to peak performance. It doesn't matter if you've got a broken bone, depression, a traumatic brain injury, PTSD, or another psychological wound. Getting help shows strength, not weakness. To find out more, go to realwarriors.net or call 866-966-1020. And welcome back to Speed Zone. I'm Ben Cower, and it's time, it's that time of the week. What's up this week? Where I get to tell you everything that's happening in racing this weekend with regards to races and the schedule Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, three days of racing this weekend. Let's begin with Friday, where the World of Outlaws this week travels from Kansas to the Lone Star State for a two day show. And the final one at that, a Devil's Bowl Speedway in Mesquite, Texas, for the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Stampede, with race one of two happening on Friday night. Again, just mention it, this is the last time. The World of Outlaws will race at Devil's Bowl, sadly, as the track is closing permanently after the races this weekend. So Devil's Bowl, just a fun fact, hosted the first ever World of Outlaws race many years ago in the 80s. And so it's very sad to see it go. And we'll see who earns the last two traditional winners cowboy hats this weekend at Devil's Bowl Speedway. The World of Outlaws Sprint Car Stampede uh, Night 1, Race 1, will be Friday. And then Saturday kicking off Saturday, that is, is the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series back for its first playoff race since a dramatic Talladega weekend on and off the track as it kicks off NASCAR's trip down the Florida Peninsula to Homestead Miami Speedway with the green flag waving just after noon on Saturday. The NASCAR Xfinity Series races later the same day at Homestead Miami Speedway for a NASCAR doubleheader with 250 miles of playoff action for the Xfinity Series beginning as of now at 3 p.m. barring any delays from the truck race. So it's scheduled to begin at 3 p.m. And then later on in the evening, the Arca Menard Series West continues its late season uh, piling on of races here in the schedule. Uh, and this weekend, it's at California's Madera Speedway 
for this weekend's uh, second to last race of the year for the West Series starting at 11 p.m. for us here on the East Coast of the United States. And that's not all. Night two of two for the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Stampede again at Devil's Bowl. Finishes out the weekend for the World of Outlaws and closes out a career of fantastic racing at Devil's Bowl. And then also on Saturday night is the Cars Tour as it travels down to Hudson, North Carolina. Yet again this season, this Saturday night, for two classes of late models, the race at Tri-County Motor Speedway in its second-to-last race weekend of the year when it, with regards to points racing. Tri-County had a thrilling finish last time out in August's Old North State Nationals, where Landon Huffman held on to capture uh, a big win, $30,000 to Huffman in the number 22 machine. He's back to try and capture another trophy alongside ASA Stars National Tour Lovebirds Stephen Nassi and Gio Ruggiero they're going to join the field on Saturday night so uh, it's going to be pretty entertaining so keep your ears and eyes peeled for that if you want to watch again the Cars Tour on Saturday night and then Sunday, 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 Sunday the NASCAR Cup Series continues the round of 8 in the playoffs at Homestead Miami Speedway for the Mobile One Forever 400 that's the number 4 and ever after that uh, to honor the soon retiring Kevin Harvick uh, so it is a complete tribute to Harvick Harvick running a special paint scheme in that race. We'll talk about it later in the racing roundtable segment. And that race will be sat, will be happening at 2.30 p.m. on Sunday. 400 miles of action in race number eight of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. So just three races remaining this year in NASCAR uh, Cup Series racing. Also on at the same time on Sunday afternoon. Rounding out the weekend is the United States Grand Prix for Formula One. Live from Circuit of the Americas in in Austin, Texas, with that race beginning at 3 p.m. for a double dosage of racing action in America on Sunday afternoon. So, plenty of racing action this week across Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Three days of racing action. Please tune into it because there's plenty to watch. We'll take another quick break here on Speed Zone, and then when we come back, it's going to be the Racing Roundtable where I and a panelist are going to discuss a lot of the latest and most important topics of this past week, but we'll take a quick break. More up next here on Speed Hey man, what's up with all the bags? Oh, nothing. Just picked up a bunch of clothes and food to send to the relief effort overseas. You know all that stuff is going to cost more to ship, and if it gets there, probably won't even be used. At least I'm trying to do something. It's good that you want to help, but there's an easier way. If you donate cash, the professionals will be able to purchase exactly what they need. You know, I never looked at it that way. It's plain and simple. Cash is the most efficient way to help disaster relief efforts. Even an amount as small as $10 can give the victims some of the necessities that are even more crucial while they're recovering. Brought to you by the Center for International Disaster Information. Hey, if you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, with your host Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? And who is at the table today? It's Dale Garrett. Welcome back to the show, Dale. Thanks for having me. All right, Dale, we got plenty to talk about today. Let's jump right into it. 
Las Vegas happened this past weekend in the realm of NASCAR as two exciting races. Uh, we're excluding the bull ring here, but uh, you can include that if you want to. We can talk about the bull ring in the ARCA West race, but uh, talk about Las Vegas, a little bit of discussion here. Thoughts on the races as we had a first-time winner. Kyle Larson ended up winning the, ra or the cup race, first-time winner in Herbst, and, well, two first-time winners also with uh, Capello and the bull ring. What, what were your thoughts on the race, Dale? I thought Vegas was was all right. You know, it felt pretty natural. There was a kind of a lack of cautions there in both races, especially towards the end. Um, but overall, thought it was really solid. It was nice to see Herbst finally break through and and take home the victory, especially in his hometown race. And as you discussed earlier, winning by 14 seconds is quite the feat. So. Almost 15. 14.9. Yes. 14.9. Dominant. If he didn't get loose on lap whatever, he would have had 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but. Uh, no, I think Vegas overall is a better mile and a half track. You know, it's multiple groove. Things usually happen pretty frequently around there. It was uh, it was a good natural race this weekend, both of them. I enjoyed both the races. You know, they were they were as you said natural. They're very natural races mm -hmm. where there wasn't a ton of. Uh, overwhelming action and crazy wrecks and et cetera, et cetera, that have happened in Las Vegas in the past. But overall, I mean, 1.5 milers have been the on the cup side have been usually the best racing for this next gen car. So uh, it provided a it was a very solid race. Uh, there wasn't anything outside of the incredible finish where it came down to the wire. It seems to do that at Las Vegas in recent memory, mm -hmm. where one driver gets out front, unless you're Riley Herbst. Uh, <laughs> he had a little bit of hometown magic on Saturday, but Sunday, Kyle Larson pulled out to how how big was that lead? Do you remember? It was I, a couple seconds. I don't know if something... I want to say it was like... Two or three, two, probably. Yeah, something like that. He had a decent gap over Christopher Bell, and Bell was flat flying in the number 20 machine, uh, the Toyota Camry, and caught up to the back bumper of Larson, and was... You know, if he had probably two more corners and maybe another lap, he might have been able to make that work. But uh, Larson was mere driving on that last lap, trying to keep Bell behind him. And we were robbed a little bit of a photo finish, but uh, overall it was a clean finish as Bell just could not get out from behind the five machine. And no, it was not like an issue of uh, like the NA18D where you just can't pass somebody. Mm. Bell just couldn't get the run off the, off the top. He went to the top, Larson went to the bottom on the final set of corners, and then Larson just slide-jobbed them off the corner and uh, held on for the victory. But it was it was a solid cup race. It was good racing, plenty of passes, some natural racing. It was fairly clean. Uh, there wasn't any just gigantic wrecks. Carson Hosevar looped it around, backed it into the wall. Uh, I know Briscoe looped it around, too. There was drivers ripping the wall, and you really like to see that because Las Vegas' pavement is, has aged wonderfully. Um, you can you can run basically every inch of that track all the way from the apron to the wall, and that's what you like to see, especially uh, with these next-gen cars that need really multiple grooves of racing, especially on these 1.5 milers, to provide some really good racing. You can get a run off the top, run off the bottom, but if you step over that edge, you're going to catch the wall, and I'd say it was pretty good practice for everybody heading into Homestead, Miami uh, this this weekend. And then awesome for Riley Herbst. You know, here we're going to we're give him... A round of applause. Good job, Riley Herbst. That's like the second time in three weeks we've given Riley Herbst a round of applause. And, you know, what a win. First way to win, you do it at your hometown. You have, like, all your family and friends there. 
Coming off the week where you re-up with Stuart Haas Racing, there was already a lot of speculation there after a, a rough season for Herbst. He didn't make the playoffs in a car that really should have made the playoffs. His teammate Cole Custer did. Cole, uh, Custer's competing for a title still, very much still in, in, uh, in contention there in the uh, Xfinity Series playoffs. Uh, right now, Custer currently is about... Uh, he is 15 points to the good in the cutoff in the Xfinity Series. So, uh, solid, you know, Stuart Haas hasn't been bad this year, but Herbst just had a lot of sour luck. And then finally, after years of waiting, quite literally, put all the pieces together, silenced the doubters, and was able to win in in storybook fashion at his hometown race. Dominant in fashion. Dominant fashion. I mean, led over half the race, pulled away from the field. There was nobody in the same zip code as the 98. Made I was it like, look easy. Yeah, he made it look easy. And I was just like, I was thinking to myself, man, that car better not fail post-race inspection because <laughs> Stuart Haas Racing is, you know, had some of that this year yes. on the cup side, not on the Xfinity side, but uh, awesome first time winner for Herbst. And, uh, you know, really cool to see. And then at the same time, again, a bit of a tumultuous season. Again, didn't make the playoffs. Tony Stewart, owner or co owner of that team, made some very public comments earlier in the year uh, around when the team hired Josh Berry to pilot one of its cup cars next year and said, hey, I don't want. You know, I'm, I hire guys off their talent. I don't hire them because there's some rich kid paying to get a ride. And I think Riley Herbst was felt slighted by that. I remember he made a, a social media post around that time. He went out and had a great... It was around the Nashville weekend in June. And he went out and almost won that race, finished third, second or third in that race, and then made a post on social media alluding to that. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure... I'm, I imagine Tony Stewart probably pretty happy with the team's performance, at least on the Xfinity side of things on Saturday. Dominant for Riley Herbst. Finally notches that first win, and we'll see if he can continue to break out from here. Who knows? Now that he can win, get that mental block out of out of the way. I mean, he mentioned in the in the victory uh, stripe interview on the front stretch after the race, he says, it felt like a million pounds went off of his shoulders. And understandably so. You're in top equipment for so many years and is not able to win... He has, like, what, one ARCA win and the mm -hmm. now one Xfinity win. Mm -hmm. Not a bad driver by any means, just has been very consistent, but not able to get to that winning echelon. I would say very similar to, uh, like, a like a Brandon Jones. I was going to say Daniel Hemrick. Daniel Hemrick, too. Mm -hmm. Where, like, Hall of, like, very good, very consistent, but just not able to put the pieces together. It's a guy that, if he finished sixth in a race, he wouldn't be shocked. But mm -hmm. if he finishes first, you're like, whoa. Raises the eyebrows Shocked. a little bit. But really cool for Herbst. And, I mean, the racing was, was solid on, on Saturday for the Xfinity race. And I, I only caught a little bit of the Bullring race. Um, but really cool for Capello to win that. I mean, it's not often. I mean, he got asked to drive that car. It's not a full-time entry in the West Series, uh, the 88 machine. Uh, and, I mean, it was clearly fast. He did well in practice and then hung on the in the race. Sean Hingarani was decimating the field until <laughs> got on the brakes a little too much and caught the right front brake rotor on fire, which you cars will do that at a place called the Bullring. So uh, a little bit of red and a little bit of orange coming out of the right front of 
Hingarani, but the racing was solid. Probably, I would argue, probably the best race the ARCA race, or ARCA series has had at the Bullring since it started racing there a couple of years ago. Usually it's one driver just waxing the field, but overall it was a very uh, solid race and really cool to see a guy who's just an engineer stepping back into a car for the first time in eight years, and he goes out and wins. The Bullring is a very difficult place to pass at. Yes. It's very, very, very much single groove. The only way to pass somebody is if you get a run off of the corner and you have to basically dive bomb going to the next corner. It's no surprise that people usually wax the field there, but yeah. It uh, it was it was a solid race, and that's, that's a place where uh, Kurt and Kyle Busch cut their teeth coming mm-hmm. up, was at that track. So it was certainly a exciting weekend at, uh, at Las Vegas, whether it was at the Excuse me, the bull ring or the big track, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, but we'll move on to the next topic, which is still Las Vegas related. I pose to you, Dale, should Las Vegas have two races next year? Obviously, it, it, it does on the Cup Series schedule, but I guess just looking beyond, I mean, Las Vegas's racing has improved with the next-gen car, arguably, and on the Xfinity side, it's still, you know, the same. Trucks always put on a good show at Las Vegas, too, but, uh, I mean, the attendance, and although it was going up against a Raiders home game in Vegas this year, I it was really bad. The attendance was the race was good, but the attendance was horrific. Where really the only stands that were filled were the little I don't know it was like 30k metal stands they got around like the the front stretch line, and then mm-hmm. all of the uh, I would call them sky deck seats where they're up, they're perched up on the hill. Uh, there was nobody there in those seats, so. You know, obviously, attendance factors into these schedule-making decisions for NASCAR a fair bit, uh, but the racing at Las Vegas is good. I ask you, should Vegas have two races? I don't see an issue with Vegas having two races. Although the attendance was down, like you said, it went up against the Raiders, and also the PGA was in town. So two massive competitors there, and it's Las Vegas. It's a tourist destination. That is true. Um, You know, and... It's a big city, and how many races do we have in the big city with the exception of, I guess, the Chicago street course now, but mm-hmm. there's not a racetrack in New York City, you know. So I think that from a racing product standpoint and a uniqueness and attendance standpoint, even though it was down, the attendance was down, I think that there's no harm in having two races. For the last several years, I couldn't even tell you the last time I had one race, they've had two races there, and they usually put on very good shows. I agree with that. I think the racing itself warrants keeping the uh, two races at Las Vegas. I, I think the attendance could get fixed one way or another, maybe with better scheduling, or I don't know, maybe a night race at Las Vegas because it can get a little hot <laughs> out there. And Las Vegas in general is known for the nighttime. Yeah, it's you want to run that. I mean, the Formula One Grand Prix of Las, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is going to run later on this year, mm-hmm. and they are running that at the dead of night it is one of the most it's going to be inconvenient for us it's going to be inconvenient basically for everybody that isn't on the west coast because they are running it at night at las vegas so Mm -hmm. it's going to be like a midnight race for the east coast but they're driving down the vegas strip the scenes are going to be beautiful oh it's going to be it's going to be amazing and you know for a city like vegas where nascar has had a you know rich history in vegas over the last like 25 30 years Just give the Cup Series a night race at Vegas, and whether try and differentiate it up a little bit, where 
both races are day races, and I know that the track might race a little better during the day, but, I mean, with the way that this car races on 1.5 milers, I don't think necessarily the day or night thing will truly affect the racing that much. Um, I say make one of them a night race. I know that might affect ratings a little bit, but change it up a little bit for the fans and definitely keep at least one Vegas race in the playoffs because it's usually a good show, especially with and how this next-gen car is raced. Absolutely. I agree. All right, so we'll move on to the next topic. The Winchester 400 happened this weekend, and it wasn't just the Winchester 400. There's a lot of other series racing at Winchester Speedway uh, this past weekend, uh, but primarily uh, the Winchester 400. We'll talk about it, you and me, Dale. Uh, thoughts on the finish and the aftermath between Ruggiero and Nassi, who's in the right, who's in the wrong, and... Uh, uh, I know we have a little bit more to chat about the Midwest Mon race that happened too uh, at Winchester or this past weekend. So I, I ask you, uh, with regards to Ruggiero and Nassi, who was in the right, who was in the wrong, what did you see? And then uh, after that, we'll chat Midwest Mons. Oh my goodness. That's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> regarding the final restart, Nassi choosing the outside, uh, Ruggiero down low. It's. Nine laps to go. You're going for a Winchester rifle, which, um, if you are unaware for those listening, the Winchester 400 is a crown jewel late model race. Oh, yeah. It is up there with the Snowball Derby. It is a big deal. Guest of the show, Travis Braden, has won that race. Yes, he has. Mm -hmm. And it's just a massive deal. And as far as the last restart, them being side-by-side and going down to one... Yeah, the 22 being Ruggiero put the 51 of Nassi in the wall. Eight tires turn a little better than four. He flat out put him in the wall. With nine laps to go. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that it was necessarily intentional. I certainly think that it was intentional to run him tight as can be. It did not give him as much room. Yeah, squeeze him up high. I mean, they're already running the high groove at Winchester. If you get just... The groove is so tight there that if you go an inch too high, especially Mm -hmm. the speed of those late models, I mean, you could... This, the car could just jerk a little bit, and then you lose half a car length, the gap, or if not, lose car length of, of space. You can compare Winchester to like a smaller Darlington. Yes. But not necessarily too grooved. It's the size of Bristol, but yes. races like Darlington. Yes. Yes. And um, as far as afterward, um, our host Ben Cowher recapped everything nicely at the top of the show mm-hmm. with... Nasty parking on the front stretch, man. Classy Nasty just being himself. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't see that that was necessarily a good move. So we'll say he's in the wrong. But I am mm. not going to say that the twenty-two of Ruggiero is in the right due to him, albeit probably I hope accidentally hitting Jeff Nasty. Yeah. Um. Keyword hope. Yeah, hope. Um. But Geo's reputation isn't exactly clean either no um but classy nassies is not clean by any means no that's why he has that's why we keep on saying that nickname because it is a it is a well earned nickname in the garage with a a bit of a bit of a a half ironic meeting right where sometimes he can be a very classy person then majority of the time it refers to his nefarious on-track actions. Which, honestly, is why I believe he's never going to get a ride in the top series. He was uh, 
considered at one point. I it know. was considered on the truck side a couple of years ago, but it didn't come to fruition. Um, but again, great great race car driver, but just sometimes his temper will get in the way. If I had to describe it, it at least the the setup to the situation, very similar to like uh, a couple of years ago, what twenty twenty one when Bowman punted Hamlin at Martinsville, and then. Yeah. Bowman was coming around to do his burnout, and then Hamlin decided to, you know, come back around and then get right in front of him and then uh, stop in the front stretch, and they did, you know, had a little bit of, uh, what, horsepower test, put the noses together, and Hamlin wasn't too happy. A torque test. Yeah, a little bit of a torque test, and uh, (laughs) that's almost what happened where Nassi pulled the 51 machine, his car, uh, just around in the front stretch and, you know, parked it. Mm-hmm. Was just waiting for Rougier to get out, or obviously was just, you know, screwing with him a little bit because he wasn't too happy. Understandably so. Uh, Nassi had dominated all day, for context. Mm-hmm. And was had Ruggiero had been running like third or fourth really all day, uh, had worked his way up to second in the latter uh, stage, and uh, just Nassi chose the outside. That's the preferred lane, but left the inside opening, probably hoping that Ruggiero wasn't going to put him in the wall, and then he did. Ruggiero got a good restart. He got a fantastic restart. Got a fantastic restart and, you know, made a little contact and up went Nassi. Uh, I would say who's on the right, who's on the wrong. I'd say Ruggiero, obviously on track, caused the... He started it, I guess, so (laughs) to say. And then I wouldn't say either of them finished it (laughs) Uh, after the race. it, It... makes a little bit of a mockery of of a of the ASA which you don't like to see where i mean it's for a for a series it's the ASA stars you know mm-hmm. it's not exactly what you want to see with two of its biggest stars going out there and doing that and you know it it reflects poorly i'm sure the series isn't happy about it otherwise it wouldn't have Dale, you, know, you mentioned the penalties handed out it was uh, mm-hmm. uh, G, uh, Ruggiero got a three thousand dollar fine and twenty five points lost, and he's on probation through the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And Nassi got a forty five hundred dollar fine and then forty four points, not forty five, forty four, <laughs> forty four, <laughs> forty four, and also probation through the rest of the year. So it wasn't without punishment. So obviously the series was not happy about it. Good on it for not being happy about that, but. Uh, have, you know, have to say it was a little entertaining. I'm just happy that Jeff Nassie's okay. Yeah, it's certainly not a good situation when somebody gets hit by any type of race car. No. But then again, you shouldn't jump on the racetrack. Regardless, I'm a firm believer in driver-to-driver discussion anyhow. Mm-hmm. Always have been, always will be. They truly know what happened because they held the steering wheel. Yep. And when somebody get, tries to get in the way, they're just inferior to me. So... I, now, that doesn't give the excuse to run him over. Yeah. But certainly, again, I don't know if it was intentional. The spotter of the 22 should have been more vocal, that there were people nearby. Mm-hmm. But <sighs> it didn't make uh, Geo look any better. No, no, it didn't. And, you know, they'll be racing together again at Tri-County, which is not a very big track, and mm-hmm. it's a place that could have a lot of contact and... Uh, you know, they're they're basically racing for a trophy this weekend at Tri-County. They're not racing for any points in the car stewards. So we're gonna, going to uh, go to Hudson, North Carolina. And, you know, I'm sure the car steward, 
somebody is going to have a chat with those two before they go on track and say it's already happened. It it ends in Winchester, Indiana. Mm-hmm. It does not come to North Carolina. Don't make a mockery on track Saturday night. Whether that will work, who knows? Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. You'll hear about it next week if something <laughs> does happen. Uh, and then you want to chat briefly about the Midwest Mods race? Yeah, so it had been rainy at Winchester all weekend and completely cold. moved and cold and completely moved the Saturday schedule to Sunday morning at about, I think it was 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. So the Midwest Mods are out there in the morning running their run for the gun. What was supposed to be a 50-lap race then got cut to 40. That also has a 40-minute time limit. Well, they didn't get to run all 40 laps. No. Because it was a caution fest. It was 27 of the 40 laps complete, and I don't. I think there was like six or seven cars. Oh, no! There nah, you go. That's... DW's upset. Oh, no! <laughs> yeah. That's... How many cars again? I think it was six or seven, and there was That's like incredible. A, <laughs> that's a lot. And how many cars were in the field? I think it was 25, 26. Six. Or something like that. Six, what, six cars remaining out of 25? Well, I mean... They, well, that were, were like more, left without a scratch, yes, really. Yes, And Matt, Matt DeMitt got handed... Well, he didn't... He won the race and then he, ended up winning the title. There was some luck in, into it. Yeah. <laughs> because... Uh, oh, Andy. Derek Griffin and... Well, before that, Derek Griffin and I don't know who was driving the 12 car. Um, but the, tangled on a restart. Yes, the front row starters tangled going down to one. The two dominant cars of the day mm-hmm. tangled on the restart, and Demit was third and happened to get by that. But certainly a little bit of luck played into it, but Demit is one heck of a driver. Oh, yeah. Deserves it for sure. Um, two straight Mountaineer 100s at Ona. Absolutely. That'll be, mm-hmm. That will be happening on just a few weekends from now, mm-hmm. just two. He's so. go- and he's going for his third. He'll be there again. Yep. Um, and then the big crash with Andy Booten and several other cars going down into one. Uh, looked like Andy just may have spun the tires on the start, or I've seen accounts of he was dooring the car to his outside. I've read and seen multiple opinions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I just watched it on Race in America and they don't share replays. So yeah. I only saw it once, so I'm not going to sit here and point fingers and blame it on anybody. But, man, he, there was a lot of cars wadded up down there in turn one. Mm. Very unfortunate to see, as my brother who used to run a modified, we know what goes into fixing those and what cost yeah. is involved. You know, this is short track racing, not big budget cup teams out there wrecking. So certainly uh, sucked to end it, and uh, it just wasn't a pretty showing for the run for the gun 40 no no it wasn't and then it was uh, a bit of a dramatic 50 second running of the winchester 400 i'm gonna bust his ass so we'll move on to the next topic going back to nascar Corey Heim, and today, we'll include this in the question, Christian Eckes uh, are announcing, both announced this past week, that they will be returning to the NASCAR Truck Series next year. Heim will uh, return in the same ride, the number 11 truck, with Tricon Garage, and Christian Eckes will be back in the number 19 Napa uh, Chevrolet Silverado for uh, McAnally-Hilgeman Racing. So, uh, these are two of probably the best 
drivers in the truck series. You know, Eckes has been in the truck series for a couple years now. Heim, this is really his first full-time season in the trucks. Uh, Dale, I, I pose you the question, is this a mistake for their development to keep them in the truck series another year when, you know, both of them are running for a title this year and one of them could certainly walk away a champion in the trucks this year? Or is this the right move to keep Eckes and Heim in the truck series for next year? I don't see anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with staying in a series and with a race team that you have won with and proven that you can win with. And like you said, one of them may end up being the champion. Uh, I'd be shocked if it isn't Han. Yes, he's had an unbelievable season. Mm -hmm. By far the most dominant. Uh, An example I think about when I look at this is Zane Smith, who has been driving trucks for front row in the truck series for quite a while now and has had great success with a championship under his belt and many race wins. So we're probably looking at another situation like that. Um, You know, as a driver myself, I certainly wouldn't want to give up a race-winning opportunity to go elsewhere when you might not have that again. Yeah. So I think it's a good move. I I uh I also think it is a, I think it is a good move. Uh, there seems to not be any. If I'm Corey Heim, the next step for me uh, up the ladder, obviously in Xfinity, I'm looking at Joe Gibbs Racing. That's mm. the premier Toyota team in the Xfinity series. I mean, Sam Hunt Racing is a very solid team, but it is not Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, and who knows, we'll be racing for that team next year on the Xfinity side, but it won't be Corey Heim. Uh, whether that is his choice, Gibbs's choice, Toyota's choice, it could be, you know, TRD or, or you know, Tricon wanted to bring him back. I mean, heck, if he somehow doesn't win the title this year, anything can happen in that last race at Phoenix. Uh, if he, maybe he'll have unfinished business next year and maybe he could come back. Maybe he'll go for two. Mm-hmm. Who knows how the season will end for Heim, but... I think it's a good move for Heim. Uh, I think it's. I would hope that he has some Xfinity races next year somewhere some, in the Xfinity. Uh, he's raced. He raced a couple times in Xfinity this year, so I would hope more of that next year because he's earned it. And then same thing with Eckes. I he's earned certainly some Xfinity races uh, next year with whom I do not know. Maybe with colleague, maybe with some sort of a team that a Chevy team that needs some sort of a rotation. Uh, I I could see. I mean, McAnally Hilgeman bought the assets of GMS Racing. So, which is the truck series team. So that team is going to be expanding next year. Mm-hmm. Who knows if the performance will be the same uh, as this year? It's a bit of a concentrated effort, at least with the 19. And then also Jake Garcia had a great year in the 35. Didn't make the playoffs, but season. impressive. And he'll be going somewhere else for next year. He won't be back at McAnally. We'll have to wait and see where he goes. But uh, I think it's a solid move for Rekis and Heim if they want to go win a title. Mm-hmm. I think regarding career prospects and moving up i mean if there's nothing open i think it's a good as you said it's a good move to stay when you're in winning equipment because you don't if you leave you don't necessarily know if you're going to be in winning equipment again we saw it just last week really in the last two weeks bright moffat announced that he wouldn't be back in the 25 car for am racing and uh, it won't be teammates with Haley deegan next year took the leap of faith i mean had a full-time ride with am racing and a car that Good, not necessarily a car that can go out and win races, but you know can compete really for solid top fifteen car, top fifteen, top ten car in the Xfinity series, and getting 
extra help from Ford next year with the introduction of Haley Deegan and jump ship, and who knows where he might be next year. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's back in trucks. Who knows? Uh, but it's tough to leave a ride like that. So I think it's a I think it's a good move for Hymanekis at least to stay another year in trucks. But I hope that they this. I hope this is or next year will be both drivers last year in the truck series unless something goes horrifically wrong. All right, next topic. NASCAR rescinded the penalty to Ryan Blaney this past week, where we mentioned it, or I mentioned it in the uh, flag to flag segment of the show, where the specific penalty for Ryan Blaney, uh, he he got disqualified from the race. Would have finished dead last uh, because in post-race inspection he was disqualified uh, after his left front shock on his car did not meet the required length of 22.55 inches. It's laid out in the regulations so they said the left front shock not good enough. Doesn't fit. And then NASCAR good on it for doing this by the way. Checking its own equipment and it realized that the template was off. I don't know how, but you know that, that that's a little concerning because you have to wonder if other templates are off. It's been off the whole year. Like, has it been? Yeah, has it been off the whole year? I, I don't remember anybody thankfully getting penalized for the same thing with the shocks, but it makes you think: what about other templates? You know, have teams been exploiting that? You know, you ain't uh, ain't if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's the old age old saying, and I'm sure. That had to have been known, but I'm sure it was a pleasant surprise for Blaney and Penske on Saturday. It would have put him in must-win territory. It would have been like, what, th- past 50 points? It would have been a 57 or 56, I do believe. It would have been bad. Now he's only 17 points out, which is more manageable across two races. But I pose you the question, Dale, uh, even with or without this penalty, does Blaney realistically need to still win to make the next round or can he point his way in even 17 points in the red currently i don't know if he needs a win obviously it'd make things a lot easier as he won in the last round and got a, a bye to this round but he's gonna need two very good dominant days with at minimum probably top fives if not top threes in stages and the race yeah to recover out of a 17-point hole being the round of eight with eight of the best cars on the track right now. That's 17 cars It's yeah, on track it, he needs to pass. It's going to be very difficult, and it's a tall order for the Penske team. I mean, everybody ahead of him in the standings is, I don't, outside of maybe Truex, mm-hmm. I don't see any budge happening yeah. where Byron is not going to fall out, even though he's 11 points to the good right now, or excuse me, nine points to the good. Uh... Truex is two above the cut line, and Hamlin is also two above the cut line. So it's fairly close, but then again, Christopher Bell is a dirt track guy heading to Homestead Miami next week and then also won at Martinsville last year to make the Final Four. Two good tracks coming up for Christopher Bell. Uh, I mean, just last year, all these drivers ahead of Blaney. Reddick is also above Blaney, and you know where Reddick is really good at? Miami. Miami, because you get to rip the top. It is very much a dirt racer's Paradise. Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, Kyle Larson, who won there last year, going to do well this weekend. Uh, what were you going to say, though? The 45, I was just going to say, the 45 car has been improving everywhere. Mm-hmm. So he could be a threat at Martinsville, too. Who knows? 
It is going to be a tall task for Blaney to move on. I am a firm believer that he's going to need to win to make the next round. I don't know if that team has the speed to do it. It did at Talladega, but then again, Blaney always wins at Talladega in crunch time. If there was a play track in this round, I'd say he's probably got a good chance. But mm-hmm. I don't know if he can do it at Martinsville, because that place is going to be especially hard to pass this year with this uh, short track package not being where it needs to be with the next gen in the Cup Series. And uh, Blaney, I don't really remember him doing anything crazy at Homestead, Miami. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But mm-hmm. I believe he will have to win. All right, we'll move on to the next topic. Announced on Monday by Jimmy Johnson, uh, co-owner of Legacy Motor Club, John Hunter Nemechek is going to drive the number 42 at Homestead in a rare partnership between Toyota and Chevy. Would you say this opportunity, Dale, uh, might be a distraction from the Xfinity Series title race for John Hunter Nemechek? Or is this a good effort to get him somewhat acclimated with his team for next year as he's going to move? He's going to make the move to the Cup Series full-time again next year in the 42 car for Legacy. I hope it is a distraction. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> personal biases aside... It would make the Xfinity title race a little more exciting because he's just <laughs> annihilating the field. Um, I, I don't like the move. I don't. Really? Okay. No, because... It's a Chevrolet, mm-hmm. and it'll be a Toyota team next year. And you're taken away from Carson Hosevar, who will also be full-time in Cup, in a Chevrolet. Yes. So, essentially, are you helping the other side? Well, I mean, Legacy's alliance lines with Toyota for next year. True. But I just... Still would, a Chevy team now, but... I, I would like to see Hosevar get the most experience that he can, because he has really impressed me in that 42 car um had a couple of rough couple of weeks but he has excelled greatly and uh, i just don't see john hunter doing better than that that's fair i think it's a shame that we're going to miss out on hosevar on a top lane track because we watched him Mm -hmm. in action at bristol and he ran the top better than probably anybody he was the fastest car on the racetrack stage two yeah and he was blisteringly fast using the top lane at Bristol, and obviously he can really rip the top at uh, Homestead Miami. He was also very good at Darlington in his first ever really full Cup Series race. And that's mm-hmm. a place where you're running the top a lot. So I, I think it, it's a shame we won't get to see Hosevar. I'll disagree with you, Dale. I, I like the move for John Hunter Nemechek, where I, I think he's built up enough of a points gap in the Xfinity side that, you know, he could go out and struggle in the Xfinity race, and, you know, it would be a drop in the bucket, oh no, they've been running so well, that the team and the equipment, the 20 team and the Xfinity for Joe, uh, for Joe Gibbs Racing, no, th- that team is not worried about making the Final Four at Phoenix. Um, I think it's fun, you get him acclimated with his team a little bit, he ran there last year in a cup car uh, for 23-11, and, you know, qualified really well, the race didn't go so well, just overdrive it a little bit, but then again, he was racing for a ride and opportunity the next year, so little different this time around where he knows he's got that ride on lock for next year i think it'll be a little fun i think you put him out there you see what he can do in a cup car uh i don't think he's going to go out and win obviously but uh, that car's had you know top 20 top 15 speed as of late I, I think john hunter could certainly wheel it to that maybe you just put him out there have a little bit of fun uh and the only thing you just got to hope for is that he doesn't back it into the fence real hard and then get a concussion or something it'd be, mm-hmm. it would be a nightmare scenario if that happened but right. 
for acclimation purposes and for legacy too i like the move where you know it's been helping out chevy so much at the end of the season even though it's a lame duck has been since like april or may uh manufacturer wise but takes a little bit of a stand here and says you know what we're gonna bring in a toyota guy and run him in a chevy who we don't care we're gonna do it um and i just find that fascinating that that gets patched up and that happens just what two weeks after matt kenseth gets there as an advisor Mm -hmm. so already some changes happening at at legacy and some uh, unique opportunities for things that never really seen that before toyota driver coming over and running a chevy in the cup series but we'll move on to the next topic RSS Racing in the Xfinity Series had an interesting post-race recap on its uh, Twitter account this past weekend. I'll read it for you if you haven't seen it. This is exactly what it says. Las Vegas results. Ryan Sieg finishes 16th after a tire penalty cost him a better finish. Kyle Sieg, 18th with a solid finish and clean car like always. CJ McLaughlin continues to do what we ask and finishes the race. Joe Graff Jr. with a DNF and another poor finish for the 38 car. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Boo! You stink! No, no! Uh, that's, ooh, I don't know, Dale. Oof. That's, uh, uh, that's a rough thing for, for a smaller team such as RSS. And here's the question. Should it be more respectful to pay drivers no matter their performance because, you know, obviously, Graf is helping that team operate with the money he's bringing in. Or was RSS in the right to make that comment? Should more teams that have pay drivers that aren't really living up to expectations regarding the equipment, should teams like that be a little more vocal about that? I mean, I certainly don't think that uh, taking to Twitter is the best way to yeah. hash hash that out, but <laughs> I mean, they got a right to be upset, but again, I don't know if I'd put it on public blast. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't want to, like, you don't want to be the, the Twitter account manager and then just, like, be like, you know, our three guys did really good, but you know... Oh, brother, this guy stinks! And then you don't want to, like, absolutely shred Graf for that, because he hasn't been that bad this year, but... Uh, you know, another disappointing race. It got torn up, and it wasn't even his fault in the wreck. It's like it wasn't even Graf's fault that he got wrecked. It was just the victim of circumstance. Uh, unlucky, and you know, sometimes you don't want to necessarily bite the hand that feeds. Uh, I, I would probably uh, bet that Graf isn't back at that team next year. <laughs> no, uh, Graf is, from what I know, he's bringing some of his own cars to that deal, which is why he's allowed. He was with SS Greenlight last year. It's why SS Greenlight really hasn't run any Fords this year, because he took all those Mustangs, brought them over to uh, RSS Racing, and whatever races he hasn't run for Gibbs this year, uh, he has brought his own equipment over to Sieg, and that team is just helping prep those cars and field them. But he owns them, so it means his equipment that got torn up. But mm-hmm. obviously the team is less than enthused we'll move on to the last topic of the night actually we'll make it the second to last topic 
uh, last week, we'll end it with some fun before Homestead predictions, because that'll go by pretty quick. Last week, it was revealed that construction has begun on the Auto Club Speedway lot, demolishing much of the now-sold property. But NASCAR has kept about 90 acres of land in Southern California on that same lot, can still build something on the former property. If NASCAR does build a track on the property again, Dale, what would you build on the former Fontana site? The Coca-Cola Super Speedway. <laughs> Could you explain for the listeners that don't know what that is? Coca-Cola Super Speedway is a NR2003 track, which is three miles long. I believe it's three miles long. Three mile long Super Speedway. <laughs> and it's just incredibly wide. Yeah. Like, it's massive. And you're like, oh, you want to go eight wide and you, just, like, never touch the brake pedal? You said to have some fun. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> let's see. What else do I have here? A 1.3-mile super speedway with a 7-16-mile speedway track in the middle. Ooh, okay. I like that. Yeah. That's that's a home. I've, I've always wanted to see a combination, some, like, weird Frankenstein of, Br- like, old Bristol. And, like, if you have, like, turns one and two from Rockingham, and Ooh. then three and four is, like, bottom lane Bristol. And, but my, my pipe dream is that I've always wanted to see a track and Martinsville does this because it's got concrete and pavement. I've always wanted, and it would be near impossible probably for Goodyear to create a good tire compound for this, but I've always wanted to see a track that like really the majority of it is pavement, but like in this Frankenstein track, three and four would be concrete turn for Bristol. (laughs) And then it's pavement all the way around the track. I think that would be really intriguing i've always had that in my my head i think that'd be cool and you could make that happen that's enough room there for reference the amount of acreage that nascar kept you could fit martinsville speedway there stands grandstands and all mm-hmm. not the surrounding hills and mountains from you know martinsville west or Mar- martinsville virginia <laughs> not west virginia uh but you know you could fit martinsville in there they might just build the west coast martinsville they might could. just do that too i wouldn't be opposed to that no but I, I would be opposed to that if this short track package doesn't get fixed. You know what else they could build? What? Dodge Raceway. <laughs> they could. <laughs> Tell the listeners what that is. Is that a football field? I think it's a football field with a racetrack. It's a thing it. from uh, NASCAR. Which NASCAR game was that? I think it was that first Thunder appeared in... 04? 04? It's from a video game. That's what we're <laughs> talking about. Same thing with Coca-Cola Super Speedway. Go look it up on the internet. It There... It exists in virtual form. Game developers are ambitious. We want to see this stuff. Oh, yeah. Listen, I just hope that they build something really cool on that lot and not sell it off and it's just lame and they just don't end up doing it. But, all right, one more topic, Dale. Homestead predictions. As Homestead this week, it's not the cutoff race for the Cup Series playoffs, but have a little bit of predictions here. Who wins, who struggles? You know, you mentioned it. Larson's going to be good. He's and I'm I'm a Larson fan, but I think everybody thinks of Larson when they think Homestead cuz I mean, he should have he should have won a lot of races there by now. Most notably yeah. 2016. But yeah. Um Dylan Lupton. Um, <laughs> he didn't even spin. He just got loose. Yeah. But that's another topic for another day. Phantom whatever. <laughs> I got a good feeling about Chevrolet in general, I got a feeling Chastain will be up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he'll win, but uh, and another one that comes to mind is Christopher Bell, like you mentioned earlier as well. Ripping the top, you know, top lane. He could get it done 
this weekend in Miami or Martinsville to go to the Final Four like he did last year? I'm going to keep it between the eight drivers remaining for the championship here as to who will probably do well and who won't. I agree with Bell. I think Bell's going to be driving his butt off this weekend to try and lock himself in because he does not want to go into Martinsville again in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And this is a track where he can certainly make something happen, but he's going to have to outduel the guy that just beat him this weekend, this past weekend at Las Vegas and Kyle Larson because Larson is probably going to have... If Larson doesn't have the fastest car, I'd be shocked if it isn't Bell. And contender number three in the arena here is Tyler Reddick in the number 45 machine. He is 16 points to the bad. And Tyler Reddick is going to need to win this race to make it because he's not going to win Martinsville. Mm-hmm. He need, He's going to go to the wall uh, on this race and try and clinch his way into the next uh, next round for the Final Four and then be championship eligible. I think it will be one of the three between Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, and Tyler Reddick battling for the win on Sunday. I would be shocked if it's anybody else. And you know who it's not going to be? Who I believe is going to continue to struggle after a all over the place Las Vegas is Martin Trix Jr. Yeah. Uh, that 19 car has been off and it will continue to struggle. I don't see Ryan Blaney probably getting higher than sixth place as he did at Las oh. Vegas. <laughs> and then, you know, I, we'll have to wait and see what the RFK cars can do. Mm-hmm. Where Kozlowski had one of the fastest cars on track in Las Vegas this past weekend, but really strong. Just couldn't get to the lead and then busher mm-hmm. also had a fast car but it is was backwards pit strategy doomed that car to a bad finish but busher has won at homestead before he won the year that he clinched his championship in the xfinity series so mm-hmm. i wouldn't be shocked if busher goes out and shocks everybody again currently eighth in the standings of eight Never know. The guy from RFK could move on with another surprise win. Certainly rattled off a couple in the regular season. So I hear you. Uh, what'd you say? I said I hear you. <laughs> I'm with it. I'm with that. Uh, you know, I I would think it would be very exciting to see. There's a lot of uh, good drivers this weekend, but uh, uh, Homestead this weekend going to be real exciting. Dale. Garrett, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here on Speed Zone. All right. With that, the music in the background's rolling. It's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in tonight. With Speed Zone, we'll be back again next weekend at 7 p.m. Next weekend. Next week. Next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Talking about all the uh, racing news and action in the past week because there's plenty happening this week. So in the meantime, stay safe, enjoy some racing, and have a good night. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.